0: Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This podcast is created for hardworking fathers, and at the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children are certainly important, but when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Today's guest is Victor Robledo. He has been a strength and fitness coach for almost 30 years. He owned and operated a personal training and gymnastics facility for 20 years in Coronado, California. In 2015, he and his wife decided to sell everything and downsize to an RV to enjoy more time with his five children. In 2017, he closed his brick and mortar to travel full-time. Through the difficulty he had traveling, he discovered that his trauma and childhood programming was holding him back from the true health and happiness he wanted to experience with his family. Now, he specializes in empowering fathers and husbands to overcome their trauma programming, anxiety, and depression so they can live amazing lives.
1: Welcome to the show, up brother. Dave, thank you for having me. It's amazing to be here.
0: Absolutely, man. Uh, like always, Victor, I always open up with you telling our guests a little bit about your relationship with your father and your childhood, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, well, I'm a first-generation American. I was born and raised in San Diego, California, but my mother and father were born in Mexico, um, in Guadalajara and Jalisco. Um, and they both immigrated to the United States, uh, when they were young and they actually were, went to San Diego high. And, uh, um, as, as a child myself, uh, you know, coming from that, we come from a long line of grinders, as I like to put it, we love, we know how to put in work. Um, so growing up, uh, I think, uh, was a uniquely challenging area. My parents made uh, significant sacrifices to give us, like many parents do, to give us the things that they didn't have. Um, a big part of that had to do with you know, providing us with a, a, an education and a home. Um, I still, once in a while, my, my dad will drive us, uh, when we used to act up, he used to drive by the would drive us downtown San Diego and drive by the one bedroom studio that him and his uh, three brothers and sisters, like, you don't. you don't, you want those pair of tennis shoes? Let me show you something. And so I grew up mm-hmm. with that sort of being taught and then ground into me. And uh, so we went to uh, I went to parochial school K through 12 mm-hmm. in large part uh, due to the rough area that we, that we grew up in mm-hmm. and my relationship with my dad was tough man uh he was uh he's still a a tough man to know and get understand you know he grew up in many ways he immigrated to the united states without without his father is just his mother and and his uh brother and two sisters Mm -hmm. and so he had um challenges associated with uh you know opening up emotionally and so that certainly left some challenges for me but what i did gain from him was a work ethic like no one's business like go to work check in put in the time and that was incredibly powerful.
0: Mm -hmm. Victor I wanted to touch on something you said you said about the tennis shoes okay Um, (laughs) yeah now so he would take you to go see shoes and like, like, can you elaborate a little bit? No, on no,
1: no, no. So, you know, as, as kids, uh-huh. uh, my dad, my dad was a, a pipe welder, worked in the shipyards down in San Diego. My mom worked at a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and once in a while things get tight, you yeah. know, he gets laid off. I actually remembered he might writing a paper called laid off what that meant in our household. Mm. Um, because we knew that things had to buckle down, rice and beans and <laughs> tortillas a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. because of that. And so when we'd ask for something, some, or, or we'd act up, you know, we act entitled. My dad would show us where he grew up mm. um, in that one bedroom studio to make ends meet. And that would, that would show us the gratitude. Like, oh, okay, dad, we got it. We got it. You don't have to drive us. We got it. <laughs> and so that's what I meant. Like, I would ask for a pair. You know, my friends had a pair of Nikes. Can I have a pair of Nikes? I don't want these pro wings you know mm. and like no 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 we can't afford that right now <laughs> yeah so they would show us that and,
0: and the reason why i was trying to uh, draw some light on that victor is because um, my wife had mm. the same thing growing up right right and um, she catches herself telling our daughter you know no you shouldn't that's too expensive get the get the the less expensive one and Then she finally realizes that, wait a minute, I'm teach. This was taught to me. And now I'm teaching this to our daughter to where, when my daughter, I, when she goes with me and we go and get her stuff, she's always looking to get the lesser of something. And I'm like, dude, Mm. and I'm not saying this to brag. God's blessed us tremendously. Um, Sure. You know, as a lineman, we make a lot of money. Okay. Right. And, we could afford nice stuff, you know, not saying we're gonna go out there and blow air, you know, blow everything out and anything like that, but you know what I mean? We could afford her to have the stuff that we didn't have, but that mentality, that, that training that my wife was showing her and we had to correct that. You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, absolutely. And programming, that mm-hmm. little that relationship with money woo, i didn't even realize it and we'll get into that i'm sure a little bit later when mm-hmm. you know we hit when we sold everything and hit the road um, it was incredibly powerful because I, I realized how much of me was wrapped into what i was doing mm-hmm. working you know as as fathers we get okay my name is Victor Blado and i do this wait 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 a second if someone's not even asking you that, like, hey, there has to be more to us than just that.
0: <laughs> yep. No, you're absolutely right. We we tend as fathers, as men to to find
1: our identity in what we do. Exactly. Exactly. That sort of reminds you of the Chris Rock uh, stand up. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll say stuff like, you know, girls will ask, a uh, husband, uh, guys will ask another guy what she look like. And sometimes mm-hmm. what does he do? And so we get rolled rolled into that a little bit as well.
0: Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because uh our our, you know your good friend carlos mendez that's how i met you um he had came on our podcast you know earlier and uh he actually i met him at a function that we had for our industry for the joint apprenticeship training center and he pointed that out he's like every single one of these guys (laughs) who step up and, and talk and say i'm so and so i'm a journeyman lineman
2: you know yeah. what I mean? that's the yeah, first exactly.
0: thing we identify with you know and it, it's right. a level of pride, you know what I mean because we put into work to obtain that golden ticket as we call it, you know what I mean absolutely but, uh, you're right, you know we our, our calling is much higher than that. Ooh,
1: there it is. There it is. That's that's so much. I agree with that. So growing up as a kid, um, you know, those, those money mindsets start to get formed and some of those to our detriment. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm sure your, your wife is shedding light on that. Like, Whoa, why Mm -hmm. is that just coming out of me? Right. And so that's important to, to, to bring out because that can impact the joy that we feel today. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Now, now
0: Victor. Yeah. Do you feel your father had like a strong influence in your life, good or bad? Like,
1: yeah, you know, um, it's very interesting. And as I had, as I thought about um, when, when I was invited onto the show, I realized some of the challenges that personally I was going to fa- face for sharing my story. And mm. also, um, but that vulnerability in that vulnerability, I know, I know we can help a lot of guys because this will resonate. Right. And so mm. all transparency, you know, my dad was. Um, because we had I was the oldest of four. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked really hard to put us in Catholic school. Um, he was too tired to do anything but walk home, take off his boots, and lay down and just zone out before the next day of work. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, he wasn't as emotionally available as I might have liked. No, we have a wonderful relationship now. It's amazing how much we heal through our children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, uh, there was a time when I was just angry. He wanted me to play baseball. I never played baseball. I actually picked wrestling um, as high school. And a big part was like, well, I want to do something you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that I'm sure that some part of that was pr- because I was angry. But what did happen is it provided an opportunity. Um, not only did my father give me these valuable tools, but at that point, my, uh, my mom had two brothers who became very, very much father figures. And so when I was born, they were in their late teens and 20s. And so a lot of what I emulated um, was because of their influence. So they're the ones that taught me to throw a spiral. They're the ones that taught me to you know, kick a soccer ball. They're the ones that I, I emulate. They're the first ones to give me a weight set and, and have me work out and teach me how to bench press and teach me all of which was completely foreign to my dad. My dad initially thought, it was a big joke. He's like, you just don't want to work. You just want to go exercise. And so that was, that created a little bit of a riff. And sometimes we have a, we have a good laugh about that. Now remember we used to call me lazy. I've had 30 years of success in this business now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So my uncles provided a lot of that um, paternal um, masculine roles, you know, um, in, in, and had a big part in when I was growing up.
2: Mm, Hmm.
0: It's good to see that you had those male mentor role models that were in your life to, to emulate things that you liked, you know, and you wanted to model yourself after, you
2: know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just knew, especially they were in their twenties, they hadn't had their been in their, uh, they haven't met their wives. And so they had free time to spend with me and they did, Mm -hmm. um, And like i said uh, especially with sports and um and again like i remember them even i wanted to dress like them and look like them (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and and it's so true because um i had an uncle who was one of the coolest men i ever met you know um guy looked like elvis i mean identical (laughs) i mean he he dressed like that he he loved nice old fast cars uh he was a, a what we would call today into rockabilly, You know what I mean? Oh, but I know what that, that is. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? But that's yeah. what he did. He had the cool cars, the fast cars, dressed really sharp. He yeah, he always smoked a cigarette. You know what I mean? He looked really cool, like James Dean and all that era, right? Because I was yeah. his, his time frame. And uh I remember looking at that and seeing that. And I like that today. I like low riders, I like bombs, I like all that <laughs> stuff. And when you see my father, it's completely opposite. I mean, my dad is like the guy from Yellowstone, the father from Yellowstone, sure. very clean cut, um, just hardworking man, ranch, uh hunting, fishing. You Got know, it. he has a ranch right now, you know, and one of the things he always told me is like, man, when you went to California, they ruined you. He told me, like, <laughs> he's like, you came back, you're always wearing flip flops. You're always, you know, he's like, do you even know how to work anymore? He'd tell me, you know, and <laughs> he just didn't understand that, you know, sometimes our kids are not going to be like you, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We have our own brains and our own past that we need to figure out and, and, and go down, you know? Oh,
1: you're so right. You're, you're a 100- hundred Hundred and ten percent on this, and what I find most interesting um, in my programming now, when I work with individuals, I just mm. jump into the deep end. Like, hey, let's let's get to this because I spent, you know, twenty years in the business dealing with people in a certain way. You know, uh, I always tell people the first person that came to work out with me, I, I started working as a trainer in a commercial gym when I was nineteen years old. And, um, she called me from her bed the next day and said, I can't get out of bed. What do I do? Mm. <laughs> and she was so sore. She couldn't move. And I was like, wait a second, there's gotta be a better way. And so my training evolved to be like, okay, maybe understand that individual. And then as I got older and I had a family of my own and I training and understood the stresses that people have. And now as I get approach my later forties now, I now have to, I realize that a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot in these self-sabotage methods, the mm-hmm. average person, think of it here, Dave, the average person knows what they should be eating and knows what they should be drinking. But yet when they get on to focus on this goal, they will mm-hmm. inevitably, inevitably fall off. And so I realize that it has nothing to do. Yes, it's routines and all that, but still we got to go upstream. Let's keep going upstream. Let's keep going upstream. And once I start going upstream with individuals and get down to the nitty gritty to find out like hey, do you not think you're worth this? Hmm. Boom, here we go. And now we start grad, scratching at the surface that, hey, what, what kind of stuff happened? To, you know, If you don't mind, let's talk about this kind of stuff, whether, whether it's past traumas, whether it's how you grew up, um, what's your relationship with parents, what's your relationship with um, food, all of these things get in ground and really ground into us and impact our ability to, first off, be ha- happy, but then even bigger, think about how that can impact and permeate into relationships with our spouse or our children.
0: Mm, mm, no, absolutely, man. Once you started talking about that, you started, you know, touching base on self-worth, right? Oof, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big thing because if you don't know what your self-worth is, you're going to consistently be trying to find your worth in things.
1: there
0: it is you know and um you're absolutely true i mean i see that with fathers who talk to me about their daughters and you know their risky behavior all these different things it's like all you know let's get to the root of this thing let's see how were you with them how was your relationship with them there it is
1: there it is you
0: know it's just like those connections were severed because you know fathers, we have a tendency of thinking that our job is just to provide and give right. them things and whatever, but we fail to build those connections. You know, we're relational people.
1: Now. Yeah. Yeah. I think um um when people you know, having taught children, I still work with children um, mm-hmm. uh, almost on the daily. Even when I close my brick and mortar, I still work uh, classes and mentoring with children. Um, and parents would always go like, yeah, I can't get them to do what you do. What do you do? How do you get them to do that? I'm like, I listen to them. And I re- and I truly over 20 years or 30 years now of teaching um, kids activities, kids gymnastics, kids workouts, I think every child is special and has genius inside them. And when I treat them that way mm-hmm. and I treat my own kids, my, our job as fathers is to, um, yes, we have the discipline. We got to do all that. We do. Yeah. We got to draw those lines, but we got to also polish this rock and be like, all right, let's make this shine. Let's mm. bring it forward.
0: <laughs> mm. I like that. I like that. You said listening to Cause uh, you know, a lot of times we don't want to listen. We want to go sh- straight to the problem so we can fix it because men we that's what we do we're problem solvers right right and we don't want to hear all the hoopla we just want to say okay get to the point and i've caught yeah. myself i'm guilty of that myself of saying all right just get to the point you know and yeah can really like if you're paying attention you'll see yourself just totally crush your daughter or your son or your spouse when you say just get oh, to yeah. the point you oh, know man um that that's so detrimental so for those of you listening don't ever do that okay (laughs) you know i i'm a firm believer of learning from other people's mistakes that's one thing my dad taught me and uh, you know if you can take one thing from
1: this (laughs) learn from what we say here today you know yeah yeah i uh you know when i deal with husbands um Um, And, you know, we, we get transparent, we get deep and we're like talking about issues, relationship, you know, the big part of that is like, they'll, they'll start off like, Hey, I want to lose this much weight. I want to bench press this much. I want to have this kind of body fat. And I go, okay, let let me evaluate your stress. How are your relationships? How are your this? And I can really go like, look, we got to pump the brakes. you got to right now. you have some significant issues. I don't need to throw more stress with like, you need to eat this way and do do this much cardio lift this much let's deal with this upstream problem first and yes you do need self-care as a father is should be on your highest priority it is never selfish to take care of yourself because then you will listen better
0: <laughs> no and it's absolutely true uh, one of the uh one of my apprentices the other day was talking to me and he's like, man, he's like, I haven't been able to eat. You know, he was going through our little mm-hmm. climbing class, which you call it, which is their first week at our apprenticeship. Okay. And it's, it's rough okay. on them. It is, you know, um, mm-hmm. we get some guys that just fly through it and then we get some guys that are out of shape, you know, sure, and, uh, they show up and, you know, we're not asking them to do anything that we couldn't do. Sure. We're asking them to keep up with their class. And, um, uh, sometimes they come and they're not boomed up on that. And uh, one of the apprentices came to me and he's like, man, he's like, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. I can't eat. I don't, I'm not even using the restroom. And I'm like, dude, I I was like, dude, that's stress. You're completely stressed out right now. You need to relax. You need to, you need to try to find yourself a calm, peaceful place where you can start doing some breathing and meditation and Stuff like that because you are extremely at your edge right now, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know that's one of the big elements that I integrate with any new client. Now is like, look, we're going to be jumping into breath work and meditation, Mm. and I go, you know, I don't really, I just want to work up, do the workout, do this and do that. Sometimes I go, look, we're we're only human, and Mm. the fact the fact is, a lot of people don't even feel essentially stressed out, but all their markers show that they are, which is like sort of adrenal fatigue sort of symptoms, which you, which include like wired and tired GI distress. Like you just, you just described injuries that won't heal, um, symptoms of kind of low T, which I go, Hey, look, you might not say you're stressed, but your body's certainly telling me.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's interesting that you talked about adrenal fatigue, because that's, uh, that's something that's plaguing a lot of the, uh, the men I talk to you know right. they're they're tired um they're taking hormone replacements right now right. um so do you think that like what's your personal or professional opinion on that as far as uh what's a contributing factor just the stress and mitigating that stress will that alleviate that or sure.
1: Yeah. So adrenal fatigue, Mm -hmm. um, I I definitely went through a significant amount of adrenal fatigue and actually this segues pretty well into how, um, my trauma um, okay. and a little bit of what growing up. Um, adrenal fatigue is a thing, guys. It totally exists. I went through it in my mid-30s and I was basically the guinea pig. A lot of people, you go to a doctor, conventional doctor, they're going to say, oh, you know, it doesn't really exist. Your your adrenal glands, we say the word adrenal fatigue. Um, and so do the, the adrenal glands not get get tired. A doctor would say, of course, you don't get tired. But insufficiency is absolutely the clinical term to describe that. And that wired and tired feeling is one of the biggest things. And, you know, feeling best between six and 10 o'clock at night, uh, GI distress, food allergies, anxiety, depression. Um, My tea at one point when I was in my mid 30s in the middle of my busiest time having my business was like of a 70 year old, it was bad. Mm -hmm. And, and still no one knew about it. And what it caused, truthfully for me, is to reflect on something. When I was um, about five, six, seven, I think I have a lot of mental blocks associated with exactly the age. So I'm going to share all this well-knowing that a lot of people, and I encourage anyone as I share this story to kind of body compass, like feel into your body. If I share this and you're having a reaction, then we know there's a possibility that you have some stuff that's been stored inside of your body. And I'll get into that. So as I got, I started going through this in my mid thirties, I started having high levels of anxiety, which I'd never had ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was eight years old, um, I was sexually abused pretty bad by a babysitter for years and years. Um, And uh, me and my siblings as well. And she was a family member, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was told some stuff. If I ever opened my mouth, what would happen to my brothers and sisters to this day, actually, when I tell this story, my hair stands up on my arms. Um, and the scarier part is once we found all this out and it was exposed, my parents certainly sent her away, but that was it. Nothing mm-hmm. was done. There was no real opportunity to sort of talk. It was just brushed under the rug. And that created obviously some issues being the oldest, my um I was a mature one. Um, my younger brother and sister had way more significant symptoms that something was wrong. And so my par- parents were focused on their care associated with that. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the biggest parts that drove that anxiety and why I'll land this plane, I promise, is that I would see this person at family get togethers. Oh, man. And no one ever said anything. And there was never something done. And I remember that churning in my stomach i don't know if you've ever felt like you both want to throw up and Mm -hmm. use the bathroom at the same time and i remember my little body feeling like i need i need to get out of here but i can't move i need to get out of here and i can't move and so that kind of left obviously leaves a a a mark on the human body and as i started doing research in my mid-30s like okay i I get the adrenal fatigue part but why do i feel like this and Mm -hmm. it had to do um with the years and years of just pushing down those emotions, which of course is very masculine. Isn't it Dave? Like, no, yeah, oh, we don't, yeah. we don't feel no. And so, so when I started to feel that anxiety, I was like, wait a second. I remember this feeling. It was the same feeling as seeing this person at these parties and it just created triggers and emotions and just that over overwhelming amount of feeling that I was like, wait, what's going on. Um, and so what it forced me to do is start to, reflect upon that. And in the end, it's brought me to the point where I understand the connection between our mind and body, um, anxiety, depression, you know, anxiety, I always tell my guys when they're going through it, anxiety is a gift. It's telling you it's time to address a specific thing in your life. And let's not steer away from it. This is your body's trying to heal. And so as I went through that adrenal fatigue, um, I scratched at the surface. There's a wonderful book I, uh, by Levine called Waking the Tiger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it talks about three these three phases of the human body. We fight, we fight, or we freeze, right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if you're familiar with that. That freezing yeah, yeah. is, yeah. The, so the freezing is what gives the human body a significant problem. And we see it on a savannah when, when a predator is about to catch the gazelle and the, the gazelle plays possum.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: lays there like, And the prey drive in the the predator goes away sometimes because it's playing possum. And then the animal goes through this thawing process if they capture it, where it gets up and it sort of shakes and and releases that energy from that cat from that moment well, humans, we don't do that. If you ever think about it, we go through traumatic events and, you know, I've had guns pulled on me and knives pulled on me in my, in my youth. And, and, you know, I remember that freezing feeling and thinking to myself like, well, this is a very uncomfortable feeling. Well, that gets stored in the human body. And I realized as I went through that adrenal fatigue, how much of that I needed to tap into to heal and then also to start to feel again.
0: (laughs) Wow. And Man, I look at that now and I, and I see the correlation with even with uh, my own past experience, you know, being a victim of a violent crime. I was stabbed right. at 13 um, and then just having to tap into that, you know, like I, I always got into stuff that was very, very combative. Right. Right. Um, right. C- combat sports to to dangerous jobs going to the military to to even transition into line work you know what i mean right Uh, you know and then even now with my wife um she and my son have lyme disease okay okay lyme disease triggered that limbic system that you're talking about where your fight or flight is yeah to where it wired her brain to where her body actually was in such a traumatic state that she couldn't even eat. She was losing weight and everything because her body was telling her, Hey, everything is, 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 is bad for you. So she would Mm -hmm. eat something and her body couldn't even absorb it.
1: Yeah. So we, you know, the amygdala, um, Mm -hmm. is a big part, a big part of, uh, that fight or flight and, you know, we need it. You know, if you're, if you're in a a battle situation, it it alerts you, but the Mm -hmm. problem with it, is that we cross into bar- barriers now where the the amygdala is hijacked, and mm. how is it hi- how is it hijacked? Well, you take something like what happened to your wife, but um, that's obviously something greater. But at the same time, the average person. Like if you ever look or walk around a restaurant and hear a text message, you see how many people reach and grab their phone <laughs> at the yep. same time. That's an amygdala. That's that's overactive amygdala. And anytime um, you encounter or are in a situation where you're constantly jumping and adjusting and jumping and adjusting. And we know, you know what media is doing these days, right? It's it's trying to keep us afraid.
0: Yeah, yep, And fear.
1: And fear. And so what ends up happening um, is that, we we have a the vagus nerve which is connected to the hypothalamus and the hypothalamus is where we feel every emotion mm-hmm. especially the big ones fear sadness anger right there's six of them but let's just focus on those and so when you have a thought that vagus nerve goes from from the hypothalamus down to the liver and has transferring those emotions to the liver mm. right it's directly wired so then the liver has 200 different functions. As you can imagine, what is it going to do? Upregulate or downregulate your genes? It's going to downregulate your genes, Mm -hmm. right? And start to impact your health. And then from there, eventually it creates a horrible loop because in the loop, the liver starts talking to the brain and saying, Oh, we know what to do. We're going to keep this, this guy grumpy and upset and thoughtless. And he's going to have this kind of temperament. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Holy smokes. I didn't realize how much uh, of an impact, how everything touches each other. Yes. Yes.
1: And and so this is my, through my experience. um, And then especially I literally over the last two years with everything that's happened, I literally saw my, my clients reliving some of their traumas. Now they didn't necessarily know it, but I could see it. And so they would walk in. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta up my game. And started, started jumping into increasing my knowledge and understanding these connections And then think about this, like the average dude thinks that, well, this is just my personality, but Mm -hmm. is it, or have you damaged your health enough that now you're on a loop and you're going to stay in this loop unless you forecast and take action to create the life that you want and the relationships that you want. And this rounds it back to family, of course.
0: Mm -hmm. No. And I see that too, because like my wife, uh, you talk about this loop, right? Mm-hmm. she had one of the the trainings that she had to go through to be able to eat again right right was she used the annie hopper's dnrs not familiar you're with f- that but familiar with it no and and basically it's retraining your brain so she has to sit there in meditation to to focus on something that would bring trauma to her and she mm-hmm. has to change the meaning of that. And, and I mean, there's there's so much more to it. You know what I mean? But, um,
1: but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great overview.
0: Yeah. And and it, it, I mean, it got her from not eating anything. I'm serious. Like she was eating like possibly like maybe six things that she could eat, right? Yeah. To where she can enjoy a cheeseburger at In-N-Out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because she was just so bad. I mean, it was, she looked like a, like, one of the starving kids in India or something. I she mean she was her emaciated, huh? Emaci- oh, boy, Total just emaciated. You know, it was it was scary. You know, she didn't have no strength or anything like that. She couldn't really That's do horrible. anything. Um she was constantly in fear, uh just any kind of traumatic, you know, and I experienced that this past sure. year when I got uh I've had COVID three times. Okay. Okay. I, I'm pretty Pretty healthy, I think. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't smoke. I don't, you know, you chew, don't don't yeah. 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 You know? But uh, I experienced COVID for the second time in November and it was a weird thing. Like my vision went away. Like I, my glasses, I, I went to put on my glasses and I couldn't see with them on. Well, I, but I could see with the mouth for about an hour in the
1: morning. Interesting. You know? I mean,
0: yeah. It was, it was weird. And they said it was because of the pressure that I had in my head it was affecting the cones and rods of my eyes or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm not a doctor, but uh, that's what they told me. But uh, it was like, since my body was experienced this, this weird thing, you know what I mean? Where I was getting these night cold sweats where I would take a credit card and I could scrape my arm and immediately Mm -hmm. the sweat would beat up. Almost immediately was puddling, right? It was weird. I never experienced anything in my life like that. Uh, It wasn't any of the cold symptoms like, you know these people talk about or anything like that yeah um you know it was just really traumatic and really weird i never lost my taste buds or or smell or anything like that but everything was more uh like say for instance when i have a pineapple or a lemon it was super strong like i I could barely even handle it i was like wow "Wow, this is super sour you know what i mean and yeah 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 it it just changed everything you know
1: yeah you know i think um you know, I, when I'm doing evaluations on people, um, mm-hmm. I'm always, uh, I'm always, I always describe this your bucket of stress of tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. And our our job, or my job as a coach, is to like empty out some of that stress because otherwise that stuff's splashing out,
2: mm-hmm. and it just
1: it just sounds like your body was already sort of at some limit. And, um, you know, and it just put it over the top. And that's why you're, you potentially created all these more symptoms. That's as simply as I could put it for a lot of people. Um, and, and I kind of went through the same thing, you know, when we sold everything um, and started traveling the world, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of got that same trigger, you know, one of the big things is that as as I went, I recovered through it through that adrenal fatigue, and I discovered that my trauma had an impact on the person I would I was and my emotions and how I was parenting, and we, my wife looked at me one day and she said, and my wife's my soulmate. I love her. Cause given that I was laying on a pile on the floor mm-hmm. and she was like feeding me bone broth to get me through the days. Cause I didn't miss a day of work, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and no working, no pay when you're self-employed. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, um, you know, she says, look, this stuff is all great, but we want you. Mm. And, uh, that's what we saw. We saw a documentary called Surf Wives with Doc, Doc Paskowitz. He traveled up and down the coast of California with his eight boys and daughter. And mm-hmm. she said, Hey, we should, we should do that. I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. And so we bought an RV. Um, we lived at that point, we had moved uh, near Coronado so I could work more, but my, of course I was, or uh, so I could build, grow the business, but of course I was working more. And so at that point, the lady we were renting the house with said, Hey, I need, I want my house back. And so we uh, packed up everything we had, downsized everything, got rid of a bunch of stuff, and hit the road in a, with, with my five kids in a 28-foot Class C motorhome, and with the idea of just doing it for the entire summer. Mm. And so we did that, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and that's when I realized how much of me was wrapped up in what I was doing for work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i had a hard time
0: (laughs) wow i i bet you know now you're you're forced to to be around each other and be in those tight quarters and to start dealing with issues that you probably didn't even know you had correct yeah yeah
1: exactly well you know um one thing we did do and this i guess makes us even more outliers is that we homeschooled Mm -hmm. all we've we have homeschooled our five kids since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And a big part of owning our own business was the dream was to be together all the time. So that wasn't as much of a problem being together because they were usually spending a lot of time Mm -hmm. at work. And then as the kids grew older, uh, you know, my wife would be like, okay, I'm going to run this person to soccer, this person over here, this person over here. But what was challenging is how much my, you know, we talked about the hard wiring of -hmm. our bodies and trauma and on some micro level, I was uneasy relaxing. You ever get that feeling where like after like most of my guys will say they get back off a hard day of work, they got to unwind.
2: Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. I had
1: that real difficult time traveling. And when we got after four months of on the road, um, I looked at my wife and kids and everyone is just happy. And I said, what if we keep going? And we kept going. And from there on, we the first big trip we took abroad was six months with backpacks in europe wow with, my youngest was four my oldest was 13 at the time wow and it, yeah go ahead
0: uh, it, were you guys staying at like hostels or like just backpacking so,
1: or <laughs> oh we backpack we the first 90 days were in tents mm-hmm. um i remember landing in norway um, and we had a what i call a california tent mm-hmm. if you ever go camping in norway the sun never sets in the summer. So make sure you have a blackout tent. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And so we would lay there and we camped. And um, part of it, we did, uh, we did it. We rented an RV and traveled all the way to Croatia and drove around. But I have to tell you, like I was reliving, I was wired still. I hadn't done enough work. I was still wired to pick up on fear. My Mm. wife would get into these awesome towns and she'd say, okay, we're going to move on. I'd say, wait, 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 I haven't relaxed yet. We can't leave yet. We can't, we, I have to spend more time here to relax before. And so I, I really felt like a watchdog on this. And it wasn't until, um, obviously I would reflect on the adrenal fatigue that I have, the wiring, I'm like, okay, somehow this is connected. Mm-hmm. I got to really take this apart, you know, a- until at one point my wife and I were arguing um, on this trip, we were in the South of France surfing uh, in Hossegor, where the uh, pro surf tour goes. And we're arguing cause she says like, I'm just grumpy all the time. I'm not happy. Um, I got to figure it out. Like, look, we're fine. Why are you always worried? Why are you always about safety? And uh, so I paddle away from her and take a wave a little bit late. And I just almost lose my eye. The surfboard hit, tombstones comes up, hits me just below the eye. And I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? I really thought my eyeball was out of the eye and mm-hmm. um, it created obviously some stress, even more stress. I thought our, our trip was over. And mm-hmm. so that was one of those moments, a culmination. like, whoa, what, what is going on? And years later now, you know, still full timing, still living in an RV, uh, I have these lessons that I've learned and then combined with the science to help people understand what's really hardwired and what is happening to us as men that we need to talk about.
2: Hmm.
0: No, that's, that's interesting. Cause, uh, some of the stuff that I deal with is like crowds, you know, right. if we're in a big crowd. There's a lot of things going on. I'm trying to focus and, and trying to, for whatever reason, as a man, I always look to see for in the crowd to see for one, any danger i do a quick glance to see what looks like danger right uh number two find a way out right right and number three just to see where my family's at and make sure that they're close if i feel a perceived threat you know and uh, i don't know why i get like that i don't know and Mm -hmm. it's just in crowds when there's a lot of people it could be disneyland it could be wherever you know what i mean it can be at the the grocery store if there's
1: a lot of people you know costco or whatever glad dave i'm glad you mentioned that because look you in this already with us dialoguing Mm -hmm. you alluded to the fact of why it could be you Mm -hmm. were stabbed did you it was 13 when you were stabbed yeah yeah so the vast majority of how we deal with our stress as adults is formulated between that sweet spot of six and 12, or in your case, six and 13. Mm. And so on some why on some level, every time there's a stress trigger, obviously, that's a very specific one. Mm. But on some level, like, you know, whether you're going, you're standing in line at the grocery store, and you're a little bit tired, that stress reaction, that body, like, Oh, I know what to do. It's this boom, I know what to do. It's this, it's that primitive brain that's wiring us. And my biggest concern with that, with my gentlemen, is that like they want to let go of that. And, and we have to be intelligent. We live in a modern world. We can't outsource that, but if it's impacting, like it would impact my dialogue with my wife in a public place. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get that? Oh yeah. I'm like, he, she's like, why are you looking over there? You've already looked over there six times. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then i try to get engaged in the conversation and something would happen. And I realized like, oh, because look, we know plenty of guys. You know, we just talked about Carlos. Like, you know, I, I had a very good, I have also had, I feel very privileged to have helped and worked with so many teams, guys because of being working in Coronado. And I pulled one aside when I was going through all this anxiety, I'm like, hey man, can I talk to you about something? And he says, yeah, sure. And I'm like, do you ever have anxiety? And he's like, yeah, actually I do, Victor. Um, um, and he tells me a story about, you know, kicking the doors down, mm-hmm. right? And he says by before, he's like, that's when I usually feel it. And I say a little prayer and I, and I go to work and I'm like, dang man, that's, I don't have that in my life. It, I have, there's an amplification. There's something that has amplified my reaction. And that comes to that that little bit of programming that's rooted in us like it's not safe.
0: <laughs> Man, and that's just like is so is that like an internal clock or a warning or, or something that's since it's wired, right? It's, it's wired, it, it's automatically letting us know that hey, this and, is a yeah. situation.
1: Yes. Yes. And Dave, the bigger one is I alluded to the fact on how it could be a loop because you're doing it so often. Now the body's sending the loop to the brain. Mm. Mm. So, you know, um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza and I highly recommend anyone that's looking to reprogram go into that. And I use a lot of his principles associated with that because, you know, the vast majority, 90 to 95% of the thoughts that we have, 90 Mm. to 95% of the thoughts we have are subconscious. Hmm. and we have about eighty thousand thoughts a day (laughs) that's a lot of thoughts right subconscious thoughts subconscious thoughts so that wiring that we talked about there it is there is the elephant in the room that my guys you know we need to talk about like hey let's just get it out like the first thing i realized is like when i told the story how about you when you told me your 13 year old story did you have a visceral physical like like i used to get the hairs i always talk about the hairs on my arm stand up like i get that alerted feeling and even right now as i'm talking about it i can almost trigger that or you feel like you're still stored in you
0: yeah i i definitely see where there's some uh issues still along with that um yeah what helped me was the guy actually wrote me a letter from prison wow this is probably about 10 years ago and um he was still in prison for other stuff he had done. Um, he shot some guy in the face or whatever, Wow! but, uh, he wrote me a letter telling me he was sorry. And he felt like, you know, he, he didn't blame me if I didn't, um, you know, accept his apology. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. So that was,
0: that, that was big for me, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, Think about those things, and this is a real important level too, Dave. Because you and I both are both talking about there's big T trauma and little T trauma. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And um, um, I remember doing a doing a study, and and one lady said, you know, I've known women. Um, I'm watching this and I'm doing this course, mm-hmm. who have been you know raped six times, and they are strong and never been impacted. And I've seen women whose dads walked in while they were taking a shower just be destroyed by it everyone is different and so we don't ever downplay your experience like oh this is what happened to me it's not big deal no 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 it can be because you want to take back your sovereignty and be present for your family and your and your kids and that's important do you think how how do you think shame plays into that like oh that's huge
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Huge. And that's, that's another one of those big six that mm. talk to the body. Like I told you about that amygdala hijack, that hypothalamus talking to the liver. The reality is guys, health is more than just a workout and, you know, eating low carb help, yeah. help mental health and physical health are one in the same. And so bringing an understanding of who you are, more awareness to your thoughts, which, are are significant. Think about how many we just talked about. Like, We got to bring awareness to those more to those subconscious thoughts. Like, What has my brain consistently told myself? Because what ends up happening is we end up burning on a loop and the body remembers the past because it remembers the past. And now you've taught it to reflect on the past. It's consistently on a loop. And so what is your future going to look like? Like your past.
0: Mm -hmm. I heard a, a, a sermon in church where they talked about how what we focus on dictates our future right so right they explained it like a, a car okay right. say you're in a car you have this big old uh you know windshield okay right. it's big for a reason so you can see the future okay right. and then you have this little rear view mirror which you're designed to just glance at every right you know, every few moments or whatever. Right. Right. And that's the same thing with our past and our future, you know, our, our, our past, we can't change it. It's there, but it's never right. designed for us to drive with that or go forward Boom. in the future. You know? That's it,
1: Dave. That's it. And you know, that it, my wife and I um, sit down and do courses and we have this course called reignite the passion. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you, when you're standing outside of a couple, you can see, that they're having potential troubles. But you can also see usually as a guy and even as if you're standing with your wife and talking about that couple, how they could work it out. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes people are too close to the problems to solve it. And so we outlined... Like you know, five steps on how to make sure your relationship is being taken care of, and the first one is you know taking care of your hormones and eating right, eating well sourced food. For my guys, it's all about getting your testosterone up with well sourced proteins and meats, getting all the processed foods out, um, and and that's very very uh, most people can understand a, a healthy whole foods diet. Um, then it's playing together with your spouse, right? You got to start doing that because a lot of people like look. It's, it's okay to go out for a meal every once in a while, but if we're into like health and fitness, you know, that like even the average restaurants, not only providing you only providing you most of it's not so hot. So you're going to want to pick the, the, you know, potato skins or whatever. Um, And then we started to do a lot of work evaluating my client. I started to do a lot of work evaluating my clients, my kids, Mm -hmm. and my, my wife and I on uh, Enneagram. Are you familiar with the Enneagram test?
0: No, no, no.
1: So Enneagram is much like MBTI, Myers and Briggs, um, but the Enneagram is a personality test. And what's valuable about it is if you're having difficulty with your spouse, with your spouse, you know, it's, we're always in, it's like, I, I always tell people like, we're in a contract negotiation. The contract's always changing. You need to readvise it every once in a while. Sit down and deal with it like that. That's very masculine-like, like, hey, let's talk. Let's talk about this contract. Mm-hmm. And when we do the Enneagram test, I encourage everyone to find it. It's widely available. Test alongside your spouse, right? So that because we have a tendency to see ourselves a certain way instead of actually what we are, test alongside Mm -hmm. your spouse, each one of these Enneagrams, it goes one through nine, has a list of core beliefs and core values. And when you start bringing um, husband and wife together, and you go, okay, look, these are your core values. Did you know that these were your husband's core values? And of course we don't put anyone in a box. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to bring greater insight into their relationship so they can squash these little things that keep coming up. Like, all right, this is Dave's core values. He believes in, um, you know, being courageous and moral and um, he wants to be, uh, I'm a two, I'm all about like service. And so the problem with that is I can get into the point where I'm, resentful because I'm, I'm not being taken care of. Right. Um, and so when, when you come in and test, um, each other and test your kids, even you have an idea of what their needs are a little bit more. And I can do it just by talking to people. But as you, when you're in a relationship with, um, with your spouse, or we have trouble with your daughter, we you have a tendency to give what's what we need or what we like, as opposed to what they need. Yep. (laughs) Why, why do we do that? That's just a reflection, right? We just, Mm -hmm. we just know like, Oh, like I'm big on, you know, some people it's, it's cool that, that the acts of service people like acts, I I did Mm -hmm. this thing for you or gifts, right? Some people like gifts. Like my Mm -hmm. wife early on is like, it's a complete waste of time for you to buy me flowers. I'd rather you spend time with me. Mm. right? Cause she's time. And that goes back to the four love languages, but any yeah. Enneagram, Enneagram tests can serve quite a bit to help us understand each other in a way that we can stand on it in a very logical way and go, Oh, I didn't look at, there it is. I know what you kind of need. Let's make sure this happens. And so that's the third thing that we always talk about in that course. And then we always talked about scripting and looking forward. And we already alluded to the problem with the past, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. scripting your relationship forward with your kids. When I raise my kids, it's all about like, where do I want to be? Where do I want them to be when I grow up? What kind of, what kind of relationship do I want to have? What kind of person do I want to have? Now I have a ton of kids and they're all over the board with a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been thankful that I've been able to, my oldest is 22, my youngest is 11. And they've been able to um, step into their own passion. In my in, in our household, it's absolutely um, a per- important thing that they find and discover that passion. And my job is to keep them moving. And when we homeschooled them, you know, it it was all about that. It was like Socratic in many ways. And I know a lot of people can't do that, but let's face it, we always have to supplement the school system anyway. So you're doing it anyway. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And <laughs> so find that passion for your kids. And, you know, I remember my son with sports, uh, when he was little, I wanted him to be in team sports. And I remember him covering his years when he played soccer and I was a wrestler in high school. And so I wanted him to wrestle and he would wrestle and he would cry every day. And he told me he, he hated it. I'm like, okay, look, you don't have to do it, but you know, if you went to school, you'd have to run the mile, um, every Friday. So we're going to run the mile. And he, and he hated it and he hated it because I timed him and I expected him to get better. And then one day he looked at my wife and says, if you guys, i run, if I run two miles, will you stop timing me? Well, lo and behold, Daniel, before he was 13, was running marathons and ran, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and ran a 50 miler before he was 18. And so if you can really scratch at the surface of what makes each kid tick and figure mm-hmm. out what makes you tick. You can step into being a husband, um, father, a son mm-hmm. that you, you never thought you might become.
0: Mm, no, I like that because you're absolutely right. Uh, part of us being fathers is to help our children right, develop those gifts that you're talking about. And I'm glad to see that you talked about that because you're absolutely right. We got to help them find that passion and then help them navigate to get there.
2: You
1: know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the jobs that our kids are ha- will, will have have not even yet been created. Mm-hmm. Think about how quickly things have jumped forward in the last 10 years and think about how quickly COVID did, did destroyed like, like, you know, we, get, we're, we don't need a book. Like my son, my, my kids are all pretty musically inclined and completely self-taught mm-hmm. because they just go find the information. They said, hey, I want to learn to play the drums, dad. I'm like, well, I'll get you the drums. I'm like, should I take lessons? I'm like, go find music that moves you and figure out a way.
2: <laughs> that's,
0: that's that's super, super interesting. Brother. <laughs> um, Victor, I wanted to ask you before we hop off of here. Brother, sure. What is something that you can share with our audience that they should be doing or could be doing right now just to become a more intentional father that you could share with our audience?
1: So- I thought long and hard because I thought potentially you'd ask me something like this, and there were so many things that come to mind when I say that. Mm -hmm. But I I think the most important thing that I can say as a father, um, having worked with children for so long, been I've been with my wife almost thirty years, um, is that self-care from a level of attention of not only health and wellness in a traditional Mm -hmm. sense, but take care of your mental well-being. Whether it's uh, you know getting, around, getting in a church group, talking to other men, confiding, share those experiences and be mindful and self-aware of those thoughts that could be derailing what you perceive is your success with your family and your children. We're here such a short period of time. It's a damn shame when we, we end the day and go, dang it. Look, we all screw up. We all screw up as fathers every day. I go, Oh yeah, I could have done that one better. But, but we, if we have a goal and we're working towards that goal, set up your life and your self care so you can be the father you imagine you can be. And if you can imagine it, you can start to build that up.
0: Mm -hmm. Once again, thank you, Victor, for coming on here and just sharing all your, your information with us, brother. Um, So much. I got to hear this again. (laughs) You know, um, Thank you for doing what you're doing and for coming on this podcast, brother. And how could our audience reach you?
1: You can find out about our adventures at nomadswithapurpose.com, but that's also on all social medias. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're looking for coaching, it's coach underscore Victor underscore Robledo. Um, And I'm going to be holding a, I decided I had one good friend that, Uh, recently passed and i was supposed to collaborate with them to put together a camp i call it man camp i'm putting my first ever man camp together where we come together and deconstruct everything we just talked about it's in memorial day and you can find the information for that camp um, on our website as well
2: Mm
0: -hmm. once again victor thank you for coming on brother and uh, we'll be talking to you soon
1: a pleasure thank you so much bye-bye